Hello, Internet! My name is Walter Ciades Fedchuk, and welcome back to the Final Cut podcast presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. Uh, it's been a couple weeks. We've had some fun kind of questioning and wondering what Marvel was thinking with the Eternals. Uh, by now, I have also watched a few episodes of Hawkeye, which has been great. That was kind of a nice palate cleanser following... Uh, little bit of a weirdly paced, weirdly plotted movie, but that was some pretty straightforward, fun action from Marvel. And the only reason I bring that up now before, you know, doing an episode or anything about that is because I know my co-host will not watch it. So there's no reason for us to talk about it beyond this on the podcast. I, and of I will course, not. I will not watch course, Hawkeye. <laughs> I'm sorry. It just, it's not... You can't make me. I'm sorry, Disney Plus. I just, you can't do it. I'm not, Chase, I, I'm digging my heels in. I have to say no. But Chase Redshirt King Wassner, it's a Christmas show. I I appreciate that and only that. I, I don't know. I, I understand the idea and why, like, I should be able to get invested, right? Because it's getting the next Hawkeye ready, which... I like Kate Bishop Hawkeye more than I like uh, the base Hawkeye, but I, I'm I'm out for a little bit. Marvel pulled me out uh, with Eternals. I've got to stand my ground for at least a little bit, see if they stick the landing on Hawkeye, and then maybe I will give it a shot. But I am very glad that we gave today's movie a shot because, man, that was fun. It's a fun film we're talking about today, Walter. It's a very fun film. Well, Chase, I hope you do realize from when this is released, we have less than a week till Spider-Man comes out. So you might have to hop back on the Marvel train pretty quickly. Uh, but yes, House of Gucci was a lot of fun. And I remember when we were sort of talking uh, what movies we had want, wanted to cover early on, even like, you know, for epi first episode, second episode, whatever, um, that when you mentioned this, you mentioned House of Gucci, I was like, what is that movie? I haven't heard of this movie. What are you talking about? And then all I had to see was Lady Gaga in it. And I was like, oh, yes, please. Absolutely. I don't care about the plot. And then I saw the plot and was like, okay, this could be fascinating. And it was. It was a fascinating film. It was very enjoyable. Uh, kind of like broad strokes. Enjoyable. Uh, the girlfriend and I went and saw it, had a beautiful date night, uh, afternoon, Sunday matinee, went out to dinner. It was, it was a great date movie, and it was something else that, she, you know, when I brought up what movies we were going to be watching, you know, for the next couple of months, uh, she was like, I, I want to see that too. So what about you, Chase? How, what was your like movie theater experience for this? Well, I went with my roommate who was also very excited for this. Um, I'd love seeing directors like Ridley Scott, someone who is known for like alien, right? For these kind of sci-fi epic films, turning his attention on a story like this that is, you know, obviously much more grounded in the here and now, but also is very over the top in its presentation. I did not know what to expect fully. I, I remember when I was first seeing the ads, there were some conversations. Maybe it would be in the best picture conversation. It will not be in the best picture conversation. But I would argue that it should because camp is a beautiful thing, Walter. 
And I adore the campiness of this film. This film is just chef's kiss when it comes to being absolutely almost cartoonish in some of these characters and the way that they are portrayed in this film. It is just a delight to see everyone eating the scenery at every single step, uh, including uh, someone whose performance I believe we're going to be criticizing a lot more in specific detail later on. But woo, lads, it's fun. If, if you haven't seen it yet, this is us telling you, go see it. It's a good time. Come back um, and we'll still be here, I promise. It is you say you say chewing scene, eating scene, and yeah, it's incredible with the names that they have on here: Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, Pacino, Leto, Jeremy Irons, Selma Hayek. The the sheer like star power that they have in this film that all of them are somehow able to dominate the scene, take control of a scene while there's. While like Pacino is standing there, having having Gaga like completely overcast him, and then Pacino steps out from behind and then completely swallows the scene. It's it's weird. It kind of reminds me of like in basketball, the whole like super team thing, you know, when you had LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosch and Sometimes when the offense sort of sputters and they do this, okay, it's your shot. Well, now it's my shot because you got the last shot. Well, now it's his shot because we got the last two shots. And it did have sort of that feel at times. But then there were some scenes where everybody just stepped back a hair and gave just a sliver of breath over the rest of the scene. And everyone managed to fit in and have some really fun, campy moments that... Kind of going into this, I didn't know what to expect because it did seem so out of the Ridley Scott wheelhouse. I mean, even just beyond, like, the sci-fi stuff, I mean, Gladiator, like, he's an action, you know, when he gets into history, it's more action-oriented historical drama and, and fighting and, you know, manly men doing manly things. And then for him to decide, I'm going to discuss this drama and this comedy slash tragedy all in one it, it was hard to know what you were getting into when you sat down to watch this film and i think camp is is the right way to sort of come out of it first breath it was campy it was fun um but was it good I think that's really kind of the real question that we want to nail down here is, was this a good movie? Because I can see in a little bizarro world, this getting nominated for a best picture, not any chance of winning it, but I could see them just be like, and here's like the little token, like comedy movie that we're going to put in here. Just like, so people know that we aren't stuffy old farts that only pick, you know, the same eight movies. Well, I've got some bad news for you uh, because I've seen the box office numbers and no, this is not going to get nominated for a Best Picture. But I will argue, I think this is a genuinely good film. And when I, I, I say that because Ridley Scott, from a cinematography perspective, he and, and the cinematographer uh, Darius Wilski do an excellent job throughout the film of framing things of setting the stage, of giving everyone, you know, the detail work is perfect. There's a lot of care placed into all of these different shots. 
and in getting the characters to, you know, the way they interact with each other, it all feels very natural, despite how cartoonish the way they're portraying it can sometimes be. And there's an artistry to it that I think it's one of the reasons I want more directors like Ridley Scott to do more films like this. I want to see people who have a deep understanding of the craft turn what they do, apply it to this entirely different genre, and see where it takes us. And I think that there's enough about the craft of filmmaking that this film gets right to the point that I'm willing to say that it is a good film. Is it a perfect film? No. Are there flaws that are going to be uh, deal killers for certain people? Absolutely. But I think overall, uh, this is a film that has more going well uh, than it has uh, going against it. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think one of the things of when I go see a, a film in theaters is that I want to be entertained. And being good and being entertaining can be completely different things. A movie can be very technically sound, can be very beautiful, can be shot really well, can have good pacing, can have good, uh, you know, audio, soundtrack, can have all those good really, you know, technical cinematography elements and be boring as all hell. And this movie did a great job of showcasing the I kind of like the best hits of Ridley Scott, really well-placed shots that give you the scenery as a backdrop. At times, it sort of reminds me of, like, stage and how you want to see the set first for just a moment before the actors come out. So you kind of can kind of get that first taste of, okay, what's going on here? Where are we? And then allow the actors to sort of interact with the set, interact with each other, and paint that larger picture that actually tells the story. And I think something like this, this kind of story is so fascinating because this isn't something that I, this isn't a story I knew anything about. I didn't go into this knowing anything about the Gucci family. You know, uh, it's not my, it's not my brand. It's not my people. It's not anything that I would know. And for them to decide that they want to tell this story on the silver screen and give it, you know, two and a half hours to introduce us to this, again, this tragedy, this weird family, the inner workings of everything. Like, spoiler alert, I didn't know there weren't any Gucci's at Gucci. I, I just like, I just assumed like there's a Gucci family, somebody's there. Never, never knew anything about it. And for them to tell this story and start at not the very, very beginning of Gucci, but start kind of at this middle part where you begin to see sort of the ebb and flow and rise and fall and the interactions of the family that leads everything to the the murder, the assassination, and then just give you a little bit at the end to kind of say, here's how everything turned out. It was really well done, even though some people thought the sort of beginning third of the movie was slow. I think it was necessary. What about you, Chase? It was necessary. And to me, people who say that the first hour were slow are missing the... If they're not missing the point, I think that they are there for a very different reason than I am there. I was here enjoying this film 
because I wanted to spend time with the larger than life characters that make up this film. I wanted time with Al Pacino as Aldo. I wanted time with Jeremy Irons Rodolfo and Jared Leto's Paolo, who is a mess and a half and is constantly engaging to watch because it is so ridiculous. We'll get to him um, in a second. Don't worry. Lady Gaga. Had, I mean, all of them. Like, they're they're fun characters to watch bounce off of each other. And you have that thing where when you're telling a story about people with this amount of money, there's I, I say this in, in a lot of different contexts, but I do believe that something happens to the human brain when you reach a certain level of income that just breaks it in some way, shape or form. And this is a family that, you know, really, the story is the beginning of the end of Gucci is where we start. And you see the kind of rot that has already formed because it has been a family business that has been so successful for so long that the people who are making decisions and the people who, you know, their children are not equipped to handle what is going to come over the course of the film. And so for me, if you're looking at the first hour and like, man, why aren't they getting to the part where she starts wanting to murder her husband? Like, you're that's not the reason we're here. It's the thing that happens. It's the reason the movie was made. But we're here because watching all of these people bounce off each other is really entertaining and fun. And the first hour of the film is almost just that. I got a fun fact for you, Walter. This film is longer than Dune. Did it feel longer than Dune to you? Because it did not for me. There oh, wasn't a moment that I felt that length. And I, I think that it's because of the whirlwind feeling that you get as you get swept from scene to scene. The transitions in this film, by the way, are perfectly executed. Um, you get exactly the amount of detail you need to understand where we are at in time. And otherwise, we're just off to the races. This film has too much ground that it wants to cover, uh, which is why the length is what it is. But it has an understanding of that and makes sure that the pace keeps up with it. So I, I personally, uh, I really enjoyed it. I wouldn't change much from the first hour. I'm sure that if you went through a fine tooth comb, you could find a couple moments that maybe weren't as great as some other things. But to me, you would lose something. And, and the reason I enjoyed this film is very much there in what other people have criticized as a slow start. So for me, pacing was great. I had no concerns at all. I think getting swept up in the whirlwind of everything is... Um, is a very good description of the pacing of this film. Because you can't run, you can't sprint without walking first. And the, the murder, the, the, the assassination, the murder, at everything that leads up to the very ending, to the point of order that we are all getting to, you need the context for it. And I think this easily could have been one of those films where they did the whole, like, they show... Uh, Maurizio getting shot and then done the like well how did I get end up here type thing and do the like rewind <laughs> like a full on freeze frame like you're probably wondering how I ended up in this situation as a bullet wound like pierces his chest like I, I say that in jest I say it completely jokingly but you could have done that type of thing because everybody knows 
at the end of the movie, that's what's happening. I know nothing about the story, but I, like, just from the synopsis and, like, the pre-interviews and everything, like, okay, you know what ends up happening. He, he mm-hmm. dies. He gets murdered. His wife does it. Con- mm-hmm. Congratulations. But they do. They give you just that, that tiny little taste of the ending scene that you don't, like, at, at, at the end of the movie, after they do the, the murder, and that that scene mirrors the first scene so much, I, in my head, was like, wait, was there a van there in the opening scene? Wait, was that there? What like I I almost had to like want to go back into the theater to rewatch the first scene just so I could compare the two of them. Mm-hmm. And and it doesn't do that. It just gives you the start, as you said, the beginning of the end. The, you know, moments where uh Maurizio sort of is living his life and he's innocent and he wants out of all of that. And he wants to be out of that crazy life and away from this crazy family. And he just wants to be a lawyer. He just wants to ride his bike into town and study law and be a good person. And then he has to get slowly, slowly dragged into this cacophony of craziness by Patricia. Yeah. He, he, he is dragged into it. And he's not, like, it's not kicking and screaming. But I think the scene where, where Aldo calls the family to invite them to his birthday. And he's like, oh, no, I don't, I, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And and Gaga is just like, he's egging him on. Like, come on, come on, come on, come on. And he finally gives in because he's madly in love with this woman and mm-hmm. got disowned by his father because he wanted to marry her and all of these things. That wedding scene is, is so sad. The transposition of the two families and there's like four Ugh. people on his side. That is heartbreaking. And for a moment, it teased that it was going to be, like, maybe it was going to be this different kind of story. And then it takes on the Wolf of Wall Street kind of vibes of, like you said, the acceleration into madness and into who ends up being also a villain. Maurizio turns into a villain just like everybody else in the movie. But he had to get pulled there. And you needed to start with that innocence, that slow, methodical life outside the craziness for then the hurricane to really deal a lot of damage and really make everything feel that much more intense as you get to the climax of the film. So, sure, could you have reduced some of the, like, awkward scenes of, like, when the two of them are in the the bookshop? Sure, you could have cut that down a little. Could you have cut down the length of the scene where they're in the cafe talking to the dad? Like, sure, you could have clipped off five seconds here, ten seconds. I can see her, whatever, sped things up a little bit. But you, like you said, you would have lost that context and that starting point and accelerated too soon. Um, that being said, that acceleration and, and pretty much everything is brought on by the acting performances. Lady Gaga as uh, Patricia is... I'm, I'm like blown away that I forget how good of an actress she is sometimes because she just doesn't do a lot. Um, let, let's start with her, Chase. What, what did you think of her acting performance? So I, I will say this. Um, she said in an interview uh, that uh, she wanted to make a real person out of Patrizia, not a caricature. She said it was, I felt the best way to honor Maurizio and Italians was my, for my performance to be authentic. From the perspective of a woman, not an Italian-American woman, but an Italian woman. Now, I have to ask you, Walter, 
Do you believe that Lady Gaga's accent matched that of a standard Italian woman? Absolutely not. She sounded Absolutely like Absolutely not! It was so great! I loved it! I wouldn't have changed a thing, to be very clear. But she goes way over the top on the Italian accent. In fact, I would say all of the accents in this film are the kind of stereotypical over-the-top Italian accents, which is part of the charm, because all of these characters are so larger than life that, of course, the accents and the portrayals of it are going to kind of rise to match it, right? Like, that's that's the assignment. It's hilarious that she thinks she didn't do that um, from a personal perspective, but what she did instead is exactly how I would have wanted her to play the role. So fine, I'm cool with that. Um, she's just, she does a really good job of capturing the desperation of her character and the kind of the slow descent into madness that, that starts from a place of like, she wants to be rich and have nice things one day. Who doesn't, right? That's a, a, a goal that all of us can get behind, right? Like if you were marrying someone because you cared about them, or maybe perhaps you sought them out because you know, they have a little bit of money there, but you know, still you, you have this relationship. It's only, it, it's very human to be like, Oh, well, Maybe we can reconnect with his family. Maybe we can find a way to smooth over this relationship and then we can have some of that. And as is the case with people in that position, some is never enough. You have to have more. There's always more. And by the time that Maurizio realizes what his enabling has done, it is far too late. And Gaga plays that so well from start to finish. You understand who her character is, why they want what they want, why they're willing to go to the means that they go through to do it, the callousness of her character, and at some points kind of a quiet menace to her. Like when she walks up to the uh, friend of his before, uh, when, when they're at the, the skiing resort, and yes. before he has... Uh, inevitably broken up uh, to go be with her but like she's just a woman at this point and lady gaga walks up and does like the like scraping of the spoon against the cup and talks about you know she's not an ethical person but she is fair and she can't understand someone stealing like that despite the fact that she has totally stolen numerous things over the course of like it's just it's perfect it is it is it's such a brilliant way of uh, taking on somebody who allowed that ideal to consume them and the inevitable result of that, which, I mean, even the, the second to last scene where she's in the house and she goes over and, uh, and gives the, the widow a hug after Maurizio's death, and then tells the guy behind her to take that woman out of my house. Perfect. Perfect moment. 10 out of 10. Just, God, she's fun to watch. She really is. And she has such a great balance of playing the, like, more innocent, like, yeah, I'm just trying to be a good girl girlfriend and a good wife. And just that, that again, that beginning sort of context. But 
you can tell in her eyes she's a bit of a schemer and that uh, Rodolfo is correct. Like, she's, why are you falling in love with her? She's just after you for your name, for your money, all that jazz. And she just plays the long game. I don't believe at any point that she is just like, I just want a little taste. The second that she finds out his name is Gucci when they're at the bar in the club, the second she finds that out, she is, I am getting as much as I can out of this. I, I it, It's not like, I just want a little, little taste of the good life. I just want a little bit of cream off the silver spoon. It's, I literally want to own Gucci. Like, I want to be able to walk into any Gucci store, get anything I want for free. Like, Rodolfo was 100% on point. From moment one, this woman is only in it for the name. 100%. But she does play the doting girlfriend, the doting wife. You know, the when he goes to her house and asks her father for a job because he got kicked out of the house. And she's like, Daddy, please. Like, all of that. All the way to the psychopath you know, stalking him outside the penthouse because she she doesn't want to get a divorce and she gives him the photo book, smoking the cigarette with the assassins and like, don't fuck this up. To the, the, the final moment we see her on screen and she says, you can call me Signora Gucci. She just nails it. She understands what level of crazy she needs to be in every single given moment, especially that scene where she is threatening uh, Paula, the, the new love interest, mm-hmm. where she's just like, I could say I'm going to kill you right now, but that would be too easy to just admit <laughs> that I want to murder you and bury you in the Swiss Alps. Yeah, That's you know, too you know exactly what is on her mind. And it's just, again, it's because you take the moment early on in the film where there's enough room where you could really interpret it either way, right? You could argue maybe she's someone who early on genuinely wants her husband to reconnect with the family and then once getting a taste for these nice things doubles down on it. Or you could say that she was playing a little bit of a role early on to lull him into believing that such that she could make these connections. And early on, she portrays it in such a way you could either one of those readings is entirely valid entirely reasonable where it goes matters so much more because of the ambiguity that's there early on and we wouldn't have that if you cut some of these scenes that make it unclear early on exactly where her motivations are because maybe she doesn't even know fully how much she wants the finer things in life until they're there and once she has them well you can't let it go can't can't have less nice things once you've seen how good you can have it Uh, it's really really well done i uh i would say the best acting performance of the uh, of a cast of characters that all have uh, a lot of fun behind them i listen we start with the best and lady gaga was was absolutely brilliant uh now i want to discuss the worst because (laughs) i fucking hate jared leto (laughs) I, 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 oh, the only thing that bothers me is that he's Morbius, and I really want to see that movie because it looks interesting. It looks very different from anything else that Marvel's really put together. But God, I fucking hate Jared Leto. He was awful. He was atrocious. He almost ruined this movie for me. I 
could not disagree more strongly. I mean, for the record, Jared Leto is a piece of shit, like, for so many reasons, I, I feel no need to defend Jared Leto. But his character was an incompetent piece of shit. Like, that's the whole rub with uh, with uh, with Paolo, is that he is the quintessential picture of mediocrity. Just a failure at everything he tries. And he overacts. Like, I, I talk about some people, like, we're kind of chewing on the scenery. He is full-on devouring. It is ridiculous. To the point where it's like, you... You just let him run and never gave any sort of feedback other than give me more. That was the entirety of his understanding of the assignment. That's all he did the entire way through. It is ridiculous. It's I like to be clear, not good acting. I, I, I don't want to imply that this is like some brilliant portrayal, but like. God, if you're gonna make someone this mediocre piece of shit that everyone else gets to tear down, I'm totally here for someone going so far over the top that you cannot take him seriously. No one in the film does, the audience shouldn't either, but because of that we get to enjoy the punching bag that he gets to be for so much of it. I I enjoyed it just because... I. It, it was perfect for that character in this style of movie to me. See, you say that. And I understand the purpose of having a, a you know, a comedy character. A, especially in something that can be very serious in what is the, you know, rise and downfall of a very wealthy, well-known brand and family into, you know... a. A murder, a gruesome murder. They murdered in the middle of the street in cold blood because he wants to divorce his wife because he no longer wants to be with her. Like there's, there's no taking away from the horror of that crime. Um, you know, Stephen Sondheim passed away recently from when we're recording this, and I was lucky enough to be in a musical my junior year of high school. A funny thing happened on the way to the forum, mm-hmm. and. It's, you know, again, it's sort of this, like, campy comedy, but there's some tragedy to it. You know, it's a comedy tonight is the the main title show, you know, show uh, song for the show. And in it, there is a character called Hysteria. And he is, like, you know, he is the comedy character. He is the over-the-top, overbearing, kind of, like, crazy person that makes everybody else that are campy and a little crazy themselves look normal in, in the kind of course of the show. And I understand that is what Jared Leto as Paolo is supposed to be in this movie. Um, the problem is, is that Patricia is also kind of a comedy character at times. And, and kind of that campiness. And Pacino as Aldo is sometimes like that. And I just, I don't see the point of him being there except to just be the foil of Maurizio and just to be like yeah Aldo doesn't trust his own flesh and blood his own son to run things so he's gonna go to the normal businessman of the family and it's just distracting Leto gets I I have the same problem with Jared Leto as the Joker is this he's too over the top it it goes past 110 percent to like 120 125 percent 
And then it's not funny anymore. It's annoying. It's, I, and, and I, you know, I say I hate Jared Leto, but he can be a good actor. Um, the, um, uh, the little things. He's a serial killer and he is brilliant because he says nothing. He's just like, he makes little quips here and there because he's a serial killer and it all like hits. He gets to be the comedy character. He gets to be the unusual weirdo and it all makes sense. And just here, it's too much. It is just way too much for me. I remember I, I read a review afterwards that was like, they never should have let the clown out of the tent. And I agree with that. I every The only scene that I am okay with him being like the full campy crazy self is when Patricia is there convincing him that he should be the designer and, and manipulating him. Because then he's the bumbling idiot and it makes sense and you take advantage of him and all that jazz. But all the rest of it, the, the scene with him and Rodolfo is dumb. If you want to talk about a scene that does need to get pulled out of the movie, like that scene does nothing. It does nothing for me. It was a waste of a scene. Him pissing on the scarf. Like, <laughs> you didn't what? like the scarf pissing scene, Walter? I, it's unnecessary. It was entirely necessary. I, I... I mean, okay, let me be clear. Um, he is ridiculous. Uh, and uh, Tom Ford, actually, the real Tom Ford, uh, mentioned in the movie that, uh, or in, in uh, an interview uh, that after watching the movie, uh, he did not care for Leto's performance. So, quote, Paolo, who I met on several occasions, was indeed eccentric and did some wacky things. But his overall demeanor was certainly not like the crazed and seemingly mentally challenged character of Leto's performance uh, and compared him to like a Saturday Night Live style parody of what you would expect to have been in the movie. And you know what? All reasonable. I, I understand where you're coming from and I do not disagree on the merits of the argument. But dude, there was a scarf pissing scene in this film. Like, I don't know. I can't. It's so ridiculous it circles back around to me. But I, I do think that it's worth kind of noting uh, that Tom Ford, uh, having uh, watched it, uh, said it was hard for him to find the humor and the camp in something that was so bloody. It was at times absurd, but ultimately it was tragic, not camp. And I do think there is something to be said about the fact that this film tries to have its cake and eat it too. It tries to say that it is giving this like this grounded portrayal in the facts, at least, of what happened and how things played out and how these characters all interacted with each other and the and the elements that clearly led to their downfall. And there are moments of the film in which the film takes itself very seriously, arguably too seriously. Um it accidentally kind of turns into melodrama because of some of the performances in play, but it doesn't always seem like the movie is aware of that. Um, and you can't, you can't have both. I appreciate the film because I appreciated the camp and I appreciated the ridiculousness of it. But for all of the people who point out that like, I mean, someone fucking died, there should be some amount of like tragic weight to that. That's not what this film is. That's not what the film 
sets forward for itself because it's too busy having fun at the ridiculousness of some of the people involved. And that's always the rub, right? Like real people are complicated. And when you spend a lot of time on the fun, on the ridiculousness, on the absurd, which was true, that these were larger than life people, you know, you can lose some of the rest of that because none of the understated moments are the things that are going to stand out to you at the end of this film because it's just not how the film spends the majority of its time and energy. It just isn't. Um, and so I, I think for people who are looking for that or who talk about the tonal challenges uh, with this film, this film, for the record, 61% on the tomato meter. It is not a widely critically acclaimed film by any means, and that's why. It's because it tries to do both, and it can't. And to me, that's fine, because the camp is why I was there. The ridiculousness is why I enjoyed it. I don't mind that they didn't get the rest of it. But one, I'm not one of the people that was involved in the incident. And two, I understand why people would look at it and say, but you also try to be serious in these few moments and you can't, there, there can be a disconnect. And I think that disconnect is fair. Do you think part of that sort of disconnect of really kind of embracing the tragedy at the end of it has to do with, and I know this is purposeful. I know this is, you know, they're, they're trying to tell the real story, trying to tell a, uh, a based on a true story version of these events but that by the end, Maurizio is not, a, there is no compassion towards Maurizio. Um, that you don't, like, he's turned into one of the bad guys and you're kind of okay with him dying. Um, do you think that might be part of why the tragedy doesn't hit the mark? I mean, it's funny that you say that because I don't think of Maurizio as a villain at, uh, you know, I certainly I, he takes on some elements uh, in which he becomes that which he tried to get rid of, right? Like he takes on some of Patrizia's kind of more cutthroat nature when it comes to people who very reasonably uh, are criticized for how they are holding the company back. Like he has become something that he never wanted to be. And villain to me is maybe a little bit harsh, but I... I mean, I certainly think that uh, in doing so, they set themselves up for a position in which uh, it might be a little bit harder, or at the very least, it might feel like a little bit more of an inevitability, right? If he's come to a point where he has become the thing that he never wanted to be, and now that force that got him there is going to come back to haunt him. But I tonally, I, I think the the issue at the end of the day is that that's the one relationship that is taken seriously, that we are meant to take at face value. And again, Lady Gaga does an excellent job throughout all of this film in capturing these little elements, but we are never at any point in time kind of directed to take, say, 
Maurizio's relationship with his family as something that we should be emotionally invested in, that we should be bummed that they don't get along, that we should be like, because of course he should. Like, they're ridiculous, over-the-top people. You wouldn't want people like that in your company if you had the chance to not have them there. Like, there's no tragedy to that loss, and there isn't enough of a... The, the groundedness there gets lost, I guess. Um, it's... I, I don't know. It, it's, it's tough for me. I, I do think that there's... Again, a lot that is really fun. But if you're going to have that kind of fun, then you have to understand the inevitability that when you hit the end of your film, you have a lot of characters that were really fun and you're not allowed to have fun anymore. And for the record, I do think the film understood this, right? Like there's a reason it ends where it does. He's shot you get the moment of her coming back into the house and that glorious scene of dispelling uh, his new wife from the house. And then it cuts to two years later. We do not play up the inevitable fall from grace and the unraveling of the murder plot. Because if we did, it would really undermine the tone of the film overall. So for me, I... I, I it doesn't bother me as much, but I I get why other people would. I think that is a very important part of the film. And I think these sort of based on true story, you know, historical, but, you know, with some embellishment type pieces of that moment of the, the climax happens and then sort of the aftermath of it. And how much the movie tells you about sort of that aftermath and where that person ends up. I think immediately coming out of this movie, I thought Wolf of Wall Street. It, it reminded me a ton of Wolf of Wall Street. It reminded me a lot of the big shorts. Um, uh, my girlfriend brought up uh, Goodfellas because it did. It had sort of that campy kind of craziness vibe and then everybody got their just desserts in the end. Uh, and also just kind of like uh, catch me if you can. Um with, with DiCaprio and Tom Hanks, just sort of these, like, based on real people and the the person that you're kind of, like, is, is portrayed as the protagonist and sort of where they end up. And as much as you could say Patricia is the protagonist, I really do think in this movie it's Maurizio. At the end of the day, it's Maurizio's story, and it's just that Patricia is just the puppet master until there's what 45 minutes maybe a half hour left and Maurizio goes this has all been ruined and I no longer want you in my life because now I am the thing which I never wanted to become and you know what I'm gonna live up my life though that way and he becomes the larger than life Gucci character and is buying the uh antiques for the stores and is buying the Lamborghini and is doing all these crazy things as he is cavorting across Europe with Paola and just decides he's going to turn full Gucci. And then he gets his just desserts, not in being murdered, but because he has turned into the person that he was trying to push out when he went and got the Iraqis and Invest Corp to buy out 
Aldo and Paolo. Then they just turn around and stick the knife in his back because, well, Aldo and Paolo were, you know, 12 out of 10 crazy, but you're like a nine and a half now. Why would we keep you around when, you know, we're still hemorrhaging money because of your spending habits? It's always fascinating to look at the wealthy and look at people when they are in singular power, when it's a privately owned family company and they can do whatever they want. Um, I, I come to mind the uh, Regas family that owned Adelphia Communications and how they got busted around the same time Enron was happening because it was a private owned company. They did whatever they wanted. They took money out of the accounts, whatever they wanted. They bought cars. They drove cars around whenever that, you know, that were bought on the company dime, but were personal vehicles, all that jazz. And then they go public. They get somebody else involved, investors, all this jazz. And then they don't change they don't follow the rules and they get arrested they go to jail for fraud and all that jazz and that's essentially what happens to Maurizio here is he was so used to his family being in absolute control that the second someone else comes into the mix and realizes we have the name we have the trademark we don't need you wild crazy Italians here anymore go away let us run the company like a business and not like my personal bank account. That to me is really the the climax moment. Because then that is the the that is the the precipice, that is the top of the mountain. He's on top of the world. Tom Ford has done an excellent job. They're the talk of down and the rug is pulled out from under him. And he gets to just go live the life that he wanted. He gets to sit in his favorite cafe, espresso Stir it around, people watch. He hops on his bike, he puts the silly boot, uh, you know, uh, pant clips on his on his shins. Hops on his bike, he rides around. He takes his hands off the handlebars, reminding himself of his youth. And he goes to begin his day of work or return from lunch or whatever he was doing. And then the sins of the past actually hit him. And he'd never realized that losing the shares of Gucci was him stepping off the cliff. Well, you know, I, I think you may have touched on something there, which is when you compare it to the Wolf of Wall Street, or now you see it, I think the big difference is that no one dies in those films, right? Like, people get their comeuppance, certainly, um, but it's a comeuppance that feels proportional to what they've done. We're aware that the characters that, that we're following have done bad things. And so when they are finally caught, it's it, it can be satisfying without necessarily feeling draining or or you know death makes things weird. When you remember that this is a true story that we're watching and you see someone die like that, the you can't camp your way out of that moment. It's at least very hard to do. And in a version of this story in which he doesn't die, but like he and Patrizio, let's say, both get arrested for, you know, let's say he gets arrested for embezzlement because he's clearly up to some shady shit with the finances and she gets arrested for trying to kill him. Like the tone of the movie works for that. 100% works with that narrative. But where it ended up, 
that transition's hard. And I understand why people criticize it. I understand why people aren't able to go that next step. But I don't know. The journey along the way is still so fun for me. Um, I have a hard time saying that I uh, wouldn't recommend it. I certainly enjoyed it. I, I think it's a, a very good film in a lot of what it's trying to do. It's just perhaps in that way a little bit too ambitious, too confident in its ability to stick a landing that it's not quite able to stick because of the nature of the story that it's choosing to tell. Yeah, I, I do think that the finality of death uh, ultimately is it doesn't feel good. And that's the point. It, it's a murder. It's a tragedy. Death is death is never good. Death is not never something that you feel fine with. There's always more questions. There's always more, well, once he was out of the company, you know, what would he have done? Would he have finally kind of faded back into obscurity and, you know, lived his life the way he originally wanted before Patrizia? Or would he have taken the Paolo route and wanted to, like, form a competing business or anything like that? And, you know, Wolf of Wall Street, um, Catch Me If You Can, they both end with, you know, Frank Abernathy and, and Jordan Belfort eventually are, like, informants to the FBI and work for the FBI as part of, like, their prison sentences and pay massive fines and, and all that jazz. We get to the end of the big short and it's all the banks collapse. It's, you know, the 2008 recession and, you know, the the winners, uh, you know, Christian, uh, Christian Bale's character, Steve Carell's character, they make a bunch of money off of it, but none of them feel good. They don't feel happy that they predicted, you know, something that nobody else would have predicted. Um, and I think House of Gucci came at a perfect time because of success, like success, succession is on right now. Their, their third season is going on and they're, you know, the last two episodes are coming up here. We're recording here on the 9th of December. And I think that there is a fascination that people have in general um, of the well-off and of the wealthy. And we love to see the glitz and the glamour. Hell, bring up great bring up great Gatsby. We love to see the glamour of the wealthy and everything that could have been. And you know, you will talk about, oh, what would I do if I won the lottery? And what would I buy or what would I accomplish? And all these things. And as much as we love to see that, we love to see the fall even more. There is nothing that I think we as humans love more than to watch people get everything, success, everything, and then get their just desserts because you don't get to that high height. You don't get that high. You don't fly that high, Icarus, without getting too close to the sun. And see, I'm referencing Eternals. I'm, I'm going back to our last episode. God damn it. We are so close. We are so close to making it out without a comparison to Eternals. This movie deserves love, better. <laughs> and we love, we love to watch that ascent. We love to watch them get up there until we can no longer see them because the sun is so blinding. And we think they've done it. They, they've won. They've eclipsed humanity. They've, they've gone to a place I will never understand. And then you get to watch them plummet back to Earth. 
And you get to remember, and they get reminded that in the end, they're only human. And that no amount of success will ever change that. And at the end of the day, death ultimately comes for us all. Whether it's the consequences of your actions like it is here, whether it's that you die old and alone and poor as Paolo ends up doing, whether you die from cancer, you know, the family completely falls apart. And the Gucci name is not, again, I mentioned earlier, I just assumed the Gucci was there. I assumed the Gucci was high up there. There's no Gucci's. It says it at the end of the film. There is no Gucci who works at Gucci. And that's kind of the, the tragedy of this entire story is that they couldn't stop eating each other alive to preserve the thing their family created and the thing their family loved so much. And I think ultimately that's why this story plays so well, despite the flaws, despite kind of the, the dud kind of landing of the ending. Ultimately, that's what we care about. It's the rise, it's, it's the peak, it's the crescendo, and then ultimately the fall back to Earth. It's the fall, man. Uh, my roommate likes to say that unhappy rich people is his favorite genre of film in general. And I get it. It's, it's fun to see people who place themselves above the vast majority of us recognize that they're not so safe after all from the consequences of their actions. Um, it, it's a fun film. I, I enjoyed it greatly. I, I think you nailed it on the head there. Um, I, I, I'm i going to uh, preempt you here a little bit. I give this film uh, eight scenes chewed out of ten. Um, I, I, I think that there's enough here to latch onto both for fun and for some genuine acting performances that I still highly recommend the film. Uh, I think it's absolutely worth your time and energy. Uh, and I, the, the flaws did not get to me. I, I, mileage will vary, and I would be very curious how our listeners react to the film uh, after they go check it out, because uh, there's a lot to unpack there, to be sure. I, I couldn't agree more. I'm going to say eight pastels and a fall collection of outfits uh, out of ten. Uh, ten outfits. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm I a little boisterous about the Jared Leto. I really didn't like that, like his character at all. I didn't like his acting. But at the end of the day, it was a fun film. I got out of it, and I immediately was texting family members, like, yo, you got to go see this movie. Like, this was this was amazing. Um, so, yeah, I, I couldn't suggest it anymore. I am... I am Ridley, bro, you make good movies. Stop going after Marvel. What I I want these I want these legendary directors. These like legacy guys that aren't Michael Bay's where they're explosions and they are directly competing with Marvel movies because action. Like I want them just to be like, dude, you guys could go have your own thing. Like you don't need fifteen year olds on their first date to come to your movie. Like just make a good movie. Have that be enough. It's not like Ridley Scott is like like dying for money right now it's not like he needed to have like the number one box office film for six weeks or anything like that's a little pride thing like how about instead of being like jealous of financial success of other movies you just like realize you made a really good film and like i haven't seen the last duel yet 
But when that comes to a streaming platform, like, I'm going to watch it, dude. I know you make good stuff. Kingdom of Heaven is one of my, like, favorite underappreciated movies of all time. Like, come off it, bro. Stop going after Marvel. Focus on just making good movies, and, you know, the world will be a better place for it. You know what? Keep getting them checks, man. I, I <laughs> At this point, Disney wants to throw money at you. Fuck it. Um, enjoy getting enough to get your passion projects done. Um, cause I, I, you know, stuff like this doesn't happen if you're not so cemented both financially and, uh, from a reputation perspective, uh, because it's not making mo money on its own. Uh, this film is currently, uh, grossed 4 million fewer dollars than its estimated budget, uh, worldwide after being out for about a month or so. Um, it has not had staying power. Um, it's a hard film to sell for certain people, um, but I I think it has a chance to be a good dark horse film when streaming comes uh, when it comes to streaming and people who wouldn't necessarily pay for it in theaters can come in and, and enjoy Lady Gaga's performance and a lot of good around it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. This is definitely going to be like an an FX or a, a TNT special for, you know, those I maybe like end of February, early March kind of months when it's still cold and snowy outside. We got our first sprinkling of snow the, today, so I was very happy here in Western New York. Uh, Chase, I, I, think, I think we've said all we can say about this movie without rehashing the same points. Where can the, uh, where can the listeners find you on the interwebs? I mean, you can find me at Chase Wassenaar on Twitter. That's it. I don't have any other platforms. So just that Chase Watson on Twitter. I don't. I know I led that like I was going to tag something else, but I, I don't have anything else to plug yet. Ooh, Maybe yes. I like. I like. I like the tease. I like the tease. Uh, as always, you guys can follow the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod on Twitter. I know we still have a Facebook page too, but I don't think I've. I've looked at that in like ten years, so just ignore that. <laughs> Obviously, don't you know. Mean meta page. <laughs> No. <laughs> As always, you know, make sure you're subscribed on to the uh, podcast listening service of your choice. Uh, and, you know, you guys can always find me at C80s underscore LOL. Reach out. Talk to us about these movies. Like, it's been nice to do some different things. I know, uh, I know sometimes a couple of my friends criticize me about being just like, oh, you just, you just want to watch Marvel movies and you only like Marvel movies. Like, hey. Listen, I watched this historical, like, uh, based on a true story piece, and it was really good. Go watch it so I can prove my points correctly. Hey, all. Editor Walter here. Uh, when we initially recorded Gucci, we had a different plan of the uh, following episode that would take place. And then we decided to change the order. Um, so we're going to talk cowboys the next couple of episodes, and we hope you enjoy those. And until next time, goodbye, Internet.